0: It's beautiful. It's got my mind on you. And everywhere I turn is a reminder.
1: Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with Worldwide Impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Welcome to this Bible lesson. Who is Jesus Christ? At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. Titus knew it too. Here's what he had to say in Titus chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. He said, believers in Christ are looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, Titus 2.14, who gave himself on the cross as a substitute for us, to redeem us, that is, to purchase us from the slave market of sin, to redeem us from every lawless deed, to, to help us to stop doing the wrong things, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, a people who are zealous For good deeds. I love that. The Bible refers to Jesus in so many ways. He is the Messiah. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the King of Israel. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. That's the first and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. He is the great I am, the one who has always existed. He is the sovereign God of the universe, and nothing happens in the universe without His permission. He is the light of men, and in Him there is no darkness at all. In the new earth and the new universe, there will be no night. There will be no need for night, because we will be surrounded by the light. He is the Son of God, He is the Son of Man, and it is a pleasure and a blessing to worship the one and only true God. Well, why does Barah Ministries exist? At Barah Ministries, we make a difference by teaching the Word of God verse by verse from God's perspective and not from man's perspective. I was talking to a friend yesterday, <coughs> excuse me, and her parents are steeped in systematic theology. And so, what does that mean exactly? It means that they are taking their direction from men. Men who are running a cult and who are running an intellectual, uh, an intellectual cult where they're looking down on everybody and thinking that they have the answers and nobody else does. Well, they don't have the answers because they don't look at the Lord Jesus Christ the right way. They don't know how to look at him. They don't see him the way he ought to be seen. That's what I, I asked the kids yesterday. What, 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 what do you think about Jesus Christ? What do you, what do you see in him? I don't know. He, well, I have to wear our sins. You know, and that's pretty much what we think about him. We don't, we don't really have a, an accurate picture. But if I, if I said, hey, June, describe your friend Rory Clark. I mean, it would take her... Hours to stop describing this amazing person that she knows. Amen? But then we ask about the sovereign God of the universe who created us, and we got, what, two things to say about him. That's ridiculous, honestly. It's ridiculous, but that's the way it is. So, you know, I I just hope that, you know, people stop worshiping men. I certainly am not worshipped here at Barah Ministries, and I would never want you to worship me, nor do I consider myself worthy of worship. If you like anything about me, what I hope you like is the fact that I'm willing to sit down every week and have the Holy Spirit tell me what to write, and then I come and tell it to you. That's what is worthy of praise, perhaps. But as far as me as a person, no different from you. Got a different spiritual gift, but no different from you, and in many cases, probably worse, because God always puts the worst people up front. So we're worshiping, we have this, you know, these parents who have this amazing viewpoint about what these men lied about, and no clue whatsoever what the Bible says about the person that has saved them and created them and who they're going to be face-to-face with forever. You see how ridiculous that is? And that's what concerns me as a teacher. What concerns me as a teacher is I stand up here and I look at you and I'm wondering if you get this stuff that I'm talking about. Do you get how important this is? Do you get how this makes your life different? That's what I want to know. So, we teach the Word of God from God's perspective, and not from man's perspective. We are Christians, and we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord through the study of His Word, and as we study His Word, we learn His thinking. And as we learn His thinking, we start to know and to be able to anticipate what He wants from us, and we start to orient to it voluntarily. That's what's amazing. Why do we study the Word of God? First of all, it brings us happiness. We're always talking about people bringing us happiness. One of the things that men love doing is making women happy. We can't make women happy. You can't make anybody happy. Amen? Amen. Now, you better, you better get about the business of making yourself happy. And that's a journey. That's a decision. But nobody on the outside of you is going to make you happy. But the Word of God makes you happy. Psalm 119:103 says It says what? How sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Amazing. The word of God offers direction. Psalm 119, says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The word of God is better than money. Psalm 119, verse 72, The law of your mouth is better to me and thousands of gold and silver pieces. And the Bible is absolute truth. And it requires effort on your part to learn. So we implore you here at Barah Ministries to always compare what is taught here at Barah Ministries to what the Bible has to say. That's not just an invitation. That is a responsibility that Christians have. Be like the Bereans. We say that every week in our newsletter. Be like the Bereans who listened to Paul with joy and then went home and opened their Bibles and checked to see if what Paul was saying is true. Amen? You have the same responsibility. Who is God's enemy? It's Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world. One of the kids yesterday asked, "Why did when Satan made his mistake, why did he get cast down to the earth? Wow, what a great question it's because that was his classroom to teach the angels how to worship the lord and so he just got confined to his classroom instead of having free roam of the universe so john chapter 12 verse 31 the lord says now judgment is upon this world and the ruler of this satan this world satan will be cast out he will be dethroned at a future time and he will be thrown into the lake of fire he will be the third Character, the third creature that goes into the lake of fire. The beast, the false prophet, and Satan. Satan enjoys making believers in Christ suffer, and his favorite instruments to make us suffer are family members. He attacks the mentality of those closest to us and gets them to turn against us. And there is nothing more painful than a betrayal from a family member. But God wants his believers in Christ to handle this kind of suffering from family members just as Joseph did with his brothers who had done evil to him. Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 says this, As for you, my brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant what you did to me for my good. Amen? Amen? So when you get all this pressure from your family, just know that God meant it for your good. He did not mean it to hurt you. He meant it for your good, because that's how you get strong. Because you can handle anything when you can handle the betrayal and the contempt of those who are closest to you. No matter what Satan does to us through family members or others, God will always work it together for our good, according to Romans chapter 8. Verse 28. Today's Bible lesson, the most important message in Christianity is the gospel message. The most important message in Christianity is the gospel message. Could somebody get that woman some water? What's wrong with you, girl? You're coughing up a lung. You need some water? Can somebody get her some water, please? (laughs) Yeah, and if that doesn't work, Open the wine bottle. <laughs> it relaxes your lungs. <laughs> it does. Believe me, it does. <laughs> I knew. You know, I knew. That this is what God says, all right, Rory, no joke here. I'm gonna give you this group of people. They're a bunch of winos. They're you know. It's like, all right, God, I'll take whoever you give me. All right, well, so the most important message in Christianity is the gospel message. What is the gospel message? You hear the words gospel message regularly if you're part of Barah Ministries, but can you articulate what it is? The term gospel comes from British English, and it means good news. The Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has good news for sinners. The bad news for sinners, which all of us are, from the moment of physical birth, is that we are destined to the lake of fire. Sinners will go to the lake of fire. And we're destined for the lake of fire from birth. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says this, As it is written, there is no creature who is righteous before God, not even one. All right? But there's a problem. You need absolute righteousness as your admission ticket to heaven and you don't have it at the moment of physical birth. So that would be devastatingly bad news for all of us, if not for the mercy of God the Father, who in Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says this, God the Father demonstrated his own unconditional love toward all mankind in that while we were sinners, while we were his enemy as unbelievers... And that's what a sinner is, an unbeliever, someone who has rejected a relationship with Christ. While we were sinners, while we were unbelieving, unrighteous, ungodly ones, the Lord Jesus Christ was sent to die in our place as a substitute for us. How about that? Because I will tell you that I don't want to do anything for my enemies, much less send my son to die for them so that they can live. What an amazing God and Father we have who would do that for us. It's absolutely amazing. Not only did Jesus die for us on a cross, he was resurrected from the dead three days later to prove that he is God. And the good news is that Christ's work on the cross and his resurrection from the dead makes it possible for every sinner to be a saint. And those of us who believe in Jesus Christ are no longer sinners, We are saints. And one of the things that irritates me more than anything in the world is hearing believers in Christ refer to themselves as sinners. You are not a sinner if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have a relationship with him. You are a saint. And there's no miracles or any of that other bull crap associated with being a saint. You are a saint at the single moment That you believe in Christ. And why is that? Because God makes you a saint. Look at every, virtually every letter in the New Testament starts this way. This is Paul talking to the saints in Rome. He's not talking to the sinners in Rome. He's talking to the saints in Rome. And who is that? Every believer in Christ. So we need to get that straight. So this is the gospel message. This is the good news. That we are no longer sinners. When we believe in Christ, we are saints. This is the most important message in human history. And in today's lesson, Paul begins his argument to the believers at first century Corinth concerning the resurrection from the dead. And he begins on the firm ground of the gospel message, the good news which they already believe. All right, let's hear some music. God gives us tribulation to strengthen us. He takes us to the spiritual gymnasium. He takes us to the spiritual gymnasium for a spiritual workout. And there are times when the big tasks that we have ahead help us to feel weak, intimidated, and inadequate to the task, even frightened. But what did the Lord say to Joshua? In Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, he said, Joshua, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. June, you ought to write a song about that. That would be so good. <laughs> she should. <laughs> have I not commanded you? you to I be not
2: commanded you?
1: To be you strong be and strong. That's not the way it goes. Do not
2: tremble. This is my version.
1: Yeah, don't, don't be changing it. I can't if I Just keep it the same. Say that again. No, please don't. Don't make her sing it again. But June, command, uh, June wrote a song using this verse. And it's called Fear Not. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So that's what the Lord said through Joshua. Here's Micah Tyler to sing about the faithfulness of our God during times of suffering in his song, Even Then.
0: On the nights when the dark lies a little bit longer When the wind and the storm is a little bit stronger when the fear in my heart digs a little bit deeper And when my faith to staying, gets a little bit weaker Where could I run to
1: Another song that ends abruptly. Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for loving us in spite of the limits to our thinking. Thank you for reminding us regularly that money has no power over us. That people have no power over us. That circumstances have no power over us that unbelievers have no power over us, that things have no power over us. Only you have power over us, absolute power, and you are for us and not against us. Help us to stand out as freaks in Satan's kingdom. Sabotage the attempts of our enemies to steal our serenity and to prevail against us. But Don't treat our enemies as they deserve to be treated. Instead, offer them the same amazing grace that you give to us every single moment of every day. Lead our enemies to you and give them chance after chance to believe and to be saved. Give them chance after chance to let you change their lives. Most of all, change the people closest to us, Father, especially in their knowledge of the gospel message. Make it burn in their hearts so it can't be resisted and bring the circumstances where they see it as their only hope. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, the most important message in Christianity, is the gospel message. The most important message in Christianity is the gospel message. Well, we begin our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And as I mentioned to you last week, there are six sections of this chapter for us to study. Section 1 is verses 1 to 11, section 2 is verses 12 to 19, section 3 is verses 20 to 28, section 4 verses 29 to 34, section 5 verses 35 to 49, and section 6 verses 50 to 58, and it's all about the resurrection. And so you're invited to read ahead. We've got two chapters remaining in 1 Corinthians before we move on to Colossians and then on to Ephesians. So we're looking forward to finishing strong with Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. So let's begin our look at the first section, 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 1 to 11, which says this, Now I, Paul, make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand. First Corinthians fifteen two, by which you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now, when we see stuff like that as believers in Christ, we go, uh oh, uh oh, did I believe in vain? Am I holding to the word that has been preached to me? Can I lose my salvation? Well, I told you in the last Lord's Supper celebration about that. Can you lose your salvation? Not under any circumstances. Why? Because you didn't do it. God did it for you. You know, that's one of the things that was part of systematic theology, that allegedly, if we didn't admit our sins to God, we were going to die the sin unto death. That is the stupidest thing I have ever heard in my entire life. It's just stupid. And this group of supposedly intelligent people believes that crap. That is not the fate of believers in Christ. But so what if it was? So what if it was? If Let's say today at noon, I'm going to die the sin unto death. What do you know? I'll be in heaven. I ain't going to miss you. i am not. Some other goofball will come up here and start teaching you, and you'll listen to him. And I'll see you in heaven. I'll be there right up front with my, you know, Mardi Gras beads and my little, you know, horn, blowing the horn. And when the saints go marching in, you're a saint, you're going to come marching in. I'll be singing it to you, amen? Pat's terrified. She says, no, don't go before me. (laughs) Please. (laughs) No, stay, please, Pastor. I don't want to go back to systematic theology. I don't blame you, Pat. We don't ever want to go back to that. Morass! Can't even believe we believed any of that crap. And I taught it. Holy smoke. So, anyway, when you see this 1 Corinthians 15, 2, and we really look at the verse, you're going to find out that there's nothing to be worried about in that verse, especially if you, if you look at the Greek translation of it, because it's much more precise than the English. First Corinthians 15, 3, For I, Paul, delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture. When you hear Christ, that is not Jesus' last name. That is a title. It is the Christ. Jesus, the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the one that was promised in Old Testament Scripture. All right? 1 Corinthians 15:4, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15:5, and that he appeared to Cephas, Who's Cephas? And then to the twelve. That's right. Cephas is Peter. Simon Peter. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. How God had a personal concern. We talked about that on Resurrection Day. How Paul, how God had a personal concern for Peter because Peter had betrayed the Lord and he was distraught. And the Lord made sure that Peter knew that he was resurrected from the dead. It was one of his first concerns. 1 Corinthians 15, 6. After that, Jesus appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, 500 believers in Christ at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Euphemism there, fallen asleep, means dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 7. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. 1 Corinthians 15, 8. Then Paul starts talking about himself. And what does he say? And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. 1 Corinthians fifteen nine. For I am the least of all the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He was the Hitler of his day. And he thought that Christians should be exterminated. And he had a personal mission to make sure that all Christians were exterminated. You understand that? Dead, killed, men, women, and children. Biggest murderer of all time. 1 Corinthians fifteen ten. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. 1 Corinthians fifteen eleven. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believe. that's the passage, the section of the passage that we're going to study today. Now, what is the issue Paul is addressing in this first section of the passage? Well, let's take a look at First Corinthians 15:12, and it'll tell you. Now, if Christ is preached, that he has been raised from the dead and he is raised from the dead, how do some among you Corinthian believers say that there is no resurrection of the dead? That's what he's addressing that there were people in the congregation who believe in Christ but thought there was no resurrection from the dead. That's a partial rendering of the gospel message. So Paul is addressing a group of believers who is influenced by their surroundings. Corinth is a Greek city And the wise men in Greece in the first century did not believe in the resurrection from the dead. There were a lot of philosophers there. And what what were they doing? Philosophizing. It's the same thing they're doing in the lake of fire today. They're in hell philosophizing and all up in their head and burning and weeping and gnashing of teeth in the lake of fire because they were so busy philosophizing that they didn't get to know who... The, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is. Aristotle said in his philosophizing, there is an unmoved mover. Correct. What's his name? I don't know that part. Then you're not that smart. If you don't know that part, you're not that smart because the, the, the person's name is the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He is the unmoved mover. He is the still point of this turning world. He is at the center of the universe, running it. All things happen from the word of his power. So as Paul addressed a group of men in Athens, many Athens is, a I think it's the capital of Greece, but many of them laughed at him for suggesting that the dead could be resurrected. Acts, chapter 17, verse 22. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus. Areopagus. You know, one of the things that... I think you guys don't appreciate about me, is how good I am with these words, like Areopagus, how I actually took Greek, that I can read and write Greek, that I took six years of Latin, and I know these words, and I don't struggle with them. You know, I see, yeah, thank you, go ahead, yeah, no, really. And I I see a word like, what that it looks like Capernaum, and I know that the actual pronunciation of it is Nahum, the city of Nahum. Yeah, exactly, man. That's amazing. So, anyway, I just thought I'd point that out because I was sitting there last night putting. Huh? No. You don't have to bow down, but just, you know, you guys are looking at that and you go, what is Areopagus? Is that a horse? What is that? Areopagus. It's a place. So, anyway, I think. You know, that's just one of the many things that you should appreciate about your pastor. Amen? <laughs> <laughs> uh God. I tell you, I don't get no respect. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah. Yeah, heaven forbid that I should say anything nice about myself. Yeah. That's I, I get it. Yeah, I get it. Acts chapter 17, verse 30. Therefore, having overlooked the times of your ignorance, God the Father is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent, which means to have a change of mind about having a relationship with Christ. Acts seventeen thirty one. Because God the Father has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom God the Father has appointed having furnished proof to all men that Jesus Christ is God by resurrecting Jesus the Christ from the dead. Acts 17.32. Now when they heard Paul talk about the resurrection of the dead, some men of Athens began to sneer, which means to laugh hysterically. But others said, We shall hear you again concerning this resurrection from the dead. Those were the wise people who wanted to hear one more time about this resurrection from the dead idea. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is crafting a brilliant argument concerning the resurrection from the dead. But he's talking to people under a double influence. People under Paul's influence, who are simultaneously being influenced by the world. The Greek culture of the times. Is it different today? is it different for you? I think not. You spend 2 hours a week if you come to Barah ministries in the spiritual realm and you spend 164 6 hours, 166 hours in the world, influenced by the world. Do you remember what I said to you on resurrection Sunday? Of course you don't. So here's a reminder. <laughs> Dying on a cross alone is not enough to make Jesus special. Put that up. Many people have been willing to die for a cause. Many people have been martyred. Only one man, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, 100% God and 100% man and one person forever, the Jewish Messiah, has been resurrected from the dead. That's what made Jesus special. The resurrection from the dead. So if you miss that, there's a whole series of consequences to our Christianity that happens if Jesus Christ was never resurrected from the dead. And that's what Paul's addressing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So when we return from the break, we will take the offering and then we'll study this section of the passage verse by verse to see what Paul says about the gospel message. Take a five-minute break and get some coffee. Wake up.
0: Why you ever chose me There's always been a mystery All my life I've been told I belong At the end of the line With all the other not quite With all the never get it right Just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul. Ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. I'm living for the world. stage fright, And David brought a rock to a sword fight, you picked 12 outsiders, nobody would have chosen, and you changed the world, well the moral of the story is, everybody's got a purpose, so when I hear that devil start talking to me, saying who do you think you are, I say I'm just a nobody, am trying to tell you. All about somebody who saved my soul Every since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus. for the world to see nobody but you.
1: Today's Bible lesson, the most important message in Christianity is the gospel message. The most important message in Christianity is the gospel message. Well, when God blesses us financially, he wants us to raise our standard of giving, not our standard of living. Remember, God is the one who seeks and saves the lost. They don't seek him. Romans chapter 3 verse 11 says this, there is no creature who understands God or any divine thing, there is no creature who seeks a relationship with God. So if you have a relationship with God, just understand that you didn't seek him. He sought you. Wait, what? No, we don't seek God. God seeks us. Luke chapter 15 verse 4 says this, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep, and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. The Lord Jesus Christ is the shepherd, and his creatures are the sheep. Now what does the shepherd do for the sheep who are not seeking a relationship with him? Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says this, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save those who are lost. Luke chapter 15, verse 7, If I, the Lord Jesus Christ, tell you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner, an unrighteous, ungodly unbeliever who repents, who changes his mind about having a relationship with Christ, than over 99 righteous persons, believers in Christ, who need no repentance. Keep on being generous so that Barah Ministries can pass along the gift of the gospel message to the unbelievers whom God brings to this ministry. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages.
3: We good. Good morning. good morning. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Bra Ministries. <clears throat> Bra Ministries is a worldwide Christian church, and this is a place for real people who want to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth from the Word of God, not systematic th- systematic theology. The truth, the truth, T R O O F.
0: That's
3: <laughs> what you get here, <clears throat> even if you don't want it. But last week. I was talking about how, you know, a lot of times it's easy for us in our lives to focus on ourselves and not think about others. And I was saying how we should start thinking about others, but it's really more than just thinking about others. It's putting that into action. It's doing things for others, sacrificing for others, doing things that really matter. We can even see in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16, do not neglect doing good and sharing, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. So God really wants us to do more than just think about others. We should sacrifice for others. I mean, you think about people that are organ donors. You know, They notch that off on their, their license and they're basically saying that I will sacrifice my body for somebody else if they need it, if I'm in a bad way. And that's really putting it into action. You think about mothers. You know, they, So many people focus on the pregnancy like it's only nine months. But that's just the start of the torture. you got the year after, the body's recuperating, dealing with kid that can't sleep, little baby that cries, all they do is eat, sleep and poop and you clean up after them. And that's sacrifice, but that's something that you know, you r- women are the real bodybuilders. They're the ones that have to build a body and then they have to take care of it for 18 years and they really sacrifice their time. And you know, another way for us to not only think about others but put it into action is sharing our spiritual gift. That's something that really puts others first because you don't, you don't think about others so you really start using your spiritual gift. Because what's it for? It's for sharing the gospel. It's for sharing your knowledge of Christ. We are the light of this world. So let's stand up to it. Let's be that light. This is our chance. This, this, this is our opportunity here. <clears throat> you know, anybody that wants to speak about Christ could come right up here. Pastor would let them. If you have something to say, if you have something that you want people to hear, he's not going to stop you. A lot of places, they're not going to do that. They're not going to let others have the, have, share the spotlight. And I think it's amazing that pastor sacrifices a lot, you know. He sacrificed to learn Greek for us. And we have to hear about it over and over. (laughs) whoever, whatever you're trying to say, you know. (laughs) I'm trying to read Greek. (laughs) Anyway, but you think about it, you know, Jesus Christ sacrificed for us. He didn't do everything on earth just for himself. It was for us. And that's what Pastor does. He, he does it for us. So I think we should all do everything for everybody else. and Think about them just daily. Like Pastor said, when we're praying, pray for others. When you're praying, pray for yourself, but pray for others. Help those people through it too. And, you know, we're, we're a family here, so let's, let's act like it and let's remember that everybody should be part of this family. So just always remember that putting others first isn't putting yourself last. It's just helping God help you and them at the same time. So thank you very much.
1: then all of a sudden I'm on? Is that it? All (laughs) righty. Today's Bible lesson, the most important message in Christianity is the gospel message. The most important lesson in Christianity is the gospel message. Well, every day you are bombarded with messages from every direction. You know, heaven forbid that I should go on the internet and type in, Adidas shoes, right? Because then for the next six weeks, I'm going to see an Adidas ad right next to anything that I do. It's unbelievable. We're bombarded with messages from every direction. Geico says 15 minutes will save you 15% or more on your car insurance. And like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I bet you didn't know that Barry Manilow created that jingle. Bet you didn't know that. I, I tell you that? Okay. Well, it's just like Greek. I'm just haranguing about the same thing over and over again. So. <laughs> You're in good hands with all state. Now that's progressive. Liberty, 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 liberty. Only pay for what you need. We need our farmers. That's right. Well, I mean, we're bombarded. Maybe you don't even notice the inundation, the bombardment of your mind, but messages are being sent to you all the time. Stay safe, socially distance, wash your hands, mask up. It's so funny to me how fast people adopted that that propaganda. Learner and row is the place to go. Call 9771900. You heard that one? And Glenn Lerner of Lerner and Row is Jewish, but he is also a Christian, which is amazing. I sat next to him on a flight one time, which I probably told you anyway, but I'm telling you again. <laughs> so the most important message that you will ever receive in your lifetime is the gospel message. The good news concerning what the Lord Jesus Christ did for you through his death on a cross, his burial, and his resurrection from the dead three days later. Without question, it is the most important message that you will ever hear. If you have attended a Barah Ministries lesson in the last two years, you have heard that message over and over and over again. And it is important enough, so important, that you'll hear it every Barah Ministries lesson until I go home to be with the Lord. As the Apostle Paul begins to address the issues concerning resurrection in the church at 1st century Corinth, he begins by reminding them what he taught them about resurrection. A set of historic facts. He begins by reminding them of the gospel message. First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now I, Paul, make known to you brethren, and brethren is a reference to the believers in Christ in the church at 1st century Corinth. Whenever you hear the word brethren... The person who's talking is addressing believers in Christ. The gospel message I preached to you in the past, which gospel message you also received, you accepted it as true and you believed, in which gospel message you keep on standing in the present with the result that you have an absolutely certain future. 1 Corinthians 15, 2. By which gospel also you keep on being saved. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, and of course you do, unless you believed in vain. Now, notice that. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, that's a first-class condition if in Greek. If, and it's true. So there's no question. It's not if, maybe you did, maybe you don't. It's not a third-class condition if. It's if and you did. You are holding fast the confession unless you believed in vain. And what's somebody who believes in vain? That's somebody who's professing that they believe in Christ, but they really don't believe all of what is true about Christ. You know, that was one of the things when I was a Roman Catholic, and I would talk to people about different doctrines in the Roman Catholic Church. There's a doctrine called the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. And so I would ask them, do you know what the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception is? And they'd say, yeah. I'd say, well, what is it? It's that Mary had a virgin birth. No, that's not it, actually. The doctrine of the Immaculate Conception says that Mary was born sinless, lived a sinless life, and was bodily assumed into heaven. And they would say routinely, I don't believe that. When you're in a discipline, you don't get to pick and choose what you believe, it's not a cafeteria. If you're in systematic theology, you believe all of it. If you're a Baptist, you believe all of it. If you're a Christian, you believe all of it. Why? Because you're you're saying with your life, all of this is true. That's what I'm doing with Christianity. I believe everything in the Bible is the truth. If I find out it isn't, just one thing, I'm done. You can get to pick and choose. I don't really like that one. That's how religions get started. You know, people say, well, I'm in this religion, but I don't really like that, so I'm going to make my own religion, and I'm going to make the rules what I want them to be. No, you don't get to do that. Amen? Amen? So, the gospel message is preached, received, and believed. That's how it works. Somebody tells you, you hear it, and you decide. And if you believe, you're a Christian. It's very simple. That's how the gospel message is passed down from generation to generation, from person to person. An amazing offer from an amazing God. Someone preaches it, someone receives it, and someone believes it. John chapter 1, verse 12, says the exact same thing. As many as received the invitation from Jesus to be saved, to them he gave the right to become children of God the Father, even to those who believe in his name. There it is. Preach it, receive it, believe it. That's it. And what does it take to be a Christian? You believe, you hear the word preached, Jesus Christ is God, and if you believe in him, you're saved once and for all time. You can't lose your salvation. There's the preaching. You hear it. You, did you hear it? Yeah. Tell me what you heard. Well, I heard you say that Jesus Christ is God. I heard you say that if I believe in him, I'm saved. I heard you say that I'm saved once and for all time, and I can't lose my salvation. That's right. I preached it, you received it. Now, what do you believe? Make a choice. I believe that. Saved. Saved. How long did that take? A second. Ten seconds? Most of you guys are slow learners, though. It probably took ten. Normal people would probably take two. Amen? They like that, too. people outside. That noisy bunch over there next door to us, isn't it? That's all it is. That's all it is. That's not what a lot of the churches tell Yeah, you got to believe in Christ, but you got to do a whole bunch of other stuff, too. Anything you add to the salvation that God has offered you negates it, cancels it. You can't add one single thing to help you save yourself. Amen? Amen. So why don't you just do it the easy way? Why you got to help? When did your help ever help? So funny, in systematic theology, we believed that Jesus Christ went to the cross to pay for our sins, but we believe, and we believe that he put us in fellowship at the moment of salvation, and then we believe that we could lose our fellowship with him by sinning. Well, then what the hell did Jesus Christ go to the cross for? He went there to pay for every sin we'd ever commit, past, present, and future. So why are we bringing up our sins again? Why? Because that's what we love doing. We love rejecting the truth. We love rejecting God. And we love embracing man-made crap that is Satan-inspired, that is designed to take away our serenity. What is, why would you worship a God who would give you salvation and then take it back because of something stupid you did? Why would you worship a God like that? How is a God like that worthy of being worshipped? He is not. Because he's no different than a human being. That's what human beings do. They give you their love, and then the minute they find out that you're human, the minute you make a mistake, they wrench their love away from you. What's special about that? There's nothing special about that. Get three words in your head when you're in a relationship. No matter what. Or stay out of relationships. Amen? Amen. Because we got a no matter what God. No matter how big a douche you turn into, he's on your side. Amen. (laughs) The chief douche just spoke. (laughs) Paul preached the gospel message to the Corinthians. They received it. They believed it. A douche is a shower, by the way. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. It's a French word. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the Corinthian believers are saved, but they are a goofy bunch. And you can tell because Paul wrote two letters to them in 29 chapters, right? The Philippian church, four chapters. The Corinthian church, 29th chapter. Okay, let me tell you one more time. Unbelievable, poor guy. Now, in these first few verses, Paul is reminding them of an established fact. And Paul is inviting the religious unbelievers in the church to examine their expenditure of faith. God gives you faith as a gift, and you get to spend it. You get to place your confidence in something or someone. That's what faith is. You get to spend it on someone or something. And the religious are sitting there, and what are they spending their faith on? Well, when they're unbelievers, they're spending their faith on themselves. They're believing that they can get themselves to heaven. Good luck with that. You can't. You have to have perfection to get into heaven. You have to have absolute righteousness. And the first time you sin, you are no longer righteous. But when you believe in Christ... He gives his righteousness to you and negates all of your unrighteousness so that you can go to heaven. Amen? Amen. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Happy birthday, y'all. <laughs> Happy <That's your> birthday <laughs> Absolutely right For one second of receive it, hear it preached, receive it, believe it. One second. Absolutely amazing. What a God that would do something that wonderful. Placing your faith in religion to save you is continued spiritual death. We're born physically alive but spiritually dead. And when you place your confidence in a religion, you're still spiritually dead until you believe in Christ. And if you stay spiritually dead and you close your eyes in this life, you're going to have the second death, which is the lake of fire. Why? Hear it preached, receive it, believe it. Placing your faith in part of the gospel message is not enough. You just believe in his crucifixion, that's not enough. I told you, there are a lot of people who have martyred themselves for a cause, but not Jesus. Jesus was raised from the dead. Paul is confident that the Corinthian believers received the accurate gospel message from him. He is confident that they believed in Christ, the one who has been resurrected from the dead, and now they're having a dilemma about whether the dead can be resurrected because the Greek philosophers told them to doubt themselves. Paul was not confident that the Corinthian believers were clear on the whole subject of the gospel message, so he's going over it with them. What is the gospel of salvation? At Barah Ministries you hear it every lesson. Here it is, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 3 and 4. I Paul delivered to you Corinthian believers as of first importance the gospel message I also received from God, that the Christ, the Messiah, is the one who died for our sins according to Old Testament scripture, 1 Corinthians 15:4, and that he was buried and that he was raised from the dead on the third day, according to the Old Testament Scriptures. The Lord Jesus Christ, through his death on a cross, paid for sins, through his burial, the transition to resurrection, and then through his resurrection from the dead, proved his deity, and is vindicated from the accusation that he is a criminal worthy of the worst death in human history, crucifixion. He did not deserve that death. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 5, and after his resurrection from the dead, the Christ, the Messiah, appeared to Cephas, which is Simon Peter's Aramaic name, then to the 12, a term for the apostles, 11 minus Judas Iscariot the betrayer. They were in just slang in slang called the 12. Now, how did Paul get the gospel message If Paul is giving the gospel message, you know, back here in in verse 3, put that up. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance the gospel message I also received from God. Well, how did he receive it? Let's take a look at Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 to 24. Here's what he says. He says, I, Paul, would have you know, brothers and sisters in the Galatian region, that the gospel which was preached by me is not from a human intervention. I didn't get it from religion. I didn't get it from man-made stuff. Galatians 1.12 I neither received it from man by hearing preaching. I didn't get it from there. Nor was I taught it by man. I wasn't instructed by human beings. I received it through a direct revelation of Jesus Christ. What was the direct revelation? He was killing people in the area he was in, and it wasn't good enough for him. He wanted to completely wipe out the Christian church, so he got thirsty, and he went to the high priest, and he says, I don't want to just do it here. I want to go over into a foreign area, and I want to kill the Christians over there, too. Can I have the paperwork? And they gave him the paperwork. It would be the equivalent of him killing people in the United States and say, this isn't enough. I want to go across the pond to Europe, and I want to kill the European Christians. That's what he was doing. And as he was galloping off down the road to Damascus, he got knocked off his high horse. And he heard a voice from the heavens, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And his response was amazing. How am I persecuting you, Lord? He knew exactly who it was. It's me, Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Now, that was a surprise to Paul. But it wasn't a surprise to the Lord, because the Lord knew before he placed Paul in his mother's womb that this was going to be the guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Amen? Amen. God's smart. So he received the gospel message via direct revelation from Christ. It was preached by God. It was received by Paul. It was believed by Paul. Salvation. And he turned from killing the Christian church to building the Christian church. How do you think the Christians of the day received that? Uh uh-uh. uh. Uh-uh. Oh, no, you didn't. You didn't change. You did not change. The apostles didn't want to trust him. Galatians 1.13. For you have heard of my former way of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure, and how I did, tried to destroy it. He was a fanatic. He was described as a fanatic, a zealot, passionate, intense, focused. Galatians 1.14 And I was advancing in Judaism as a Pharisee beyond many of my contemporaries, people my own age, and among my countrymen. He was competitive, being more extremely zealous for my Jewish ancestral traditions. Galatians 1.15 But when God the Father, who had set me apart for privilege, even from my mother's womb, and who called me to salvation through his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. This is a Jew preaching to the Gentiles who they thought were vermin. The Jews thought that the Gentiles were vermin. It's even that way for some Jews today. They call us Gentiles goy. As, you know, something lesser than a gnat. So imagine that he, not only is he going from killing Christians to edifying Christians, he's going from being intensely Jewish to preaching to the goy. The Gentiles. God's funny, eh? (laughs) So... God was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. I didn't go talk to human beings about it. Galatians 1.17, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. He didn't go consult with the 11 minus Judas. I went away to Arabia to be alone with the Lord and returned once more to Damascus. He was out in Arabia in the desert, for three years, being instructed personally by the Lord, Galatians 1:18. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, Simon Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. That was 15 days that Peter was sleeping with one eye open. Amen. <laughs> Peter said, I don't know I want to trust this guy. But I don't know. Galatians 1:19. But I did not see another one of the apostles except James, the Lord's half-brother. Now, the Lord had a minimum of six siblings. So there goes the Virgin Mary idea. Mary had a virgin birth, and after that, she had at least six kids. James is one of them. He was an unbeliever until he saw the resurrected Christ. And the other, another one of the the brothers was Judas. Not Iscariot, but he wrote the book of Jude. So two of the Lord's half brothers wrote books in the New Testament. Galatians one twenty. Now in what I'm writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. Galatians one twenty one. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. There's another one of those pronunciations for you, amen. <laughs> Galatians one twenty two. I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which are in Christ. Galatians one twenty three. but they only kept hearing, the man who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith, which he once tried to destroy. Galatians 1.24, and they were glorifying God because of me. Paul went from persecutor to preacher. An accurate gospel message makes it clear that being saved is not a matter of law. Being saved is not a matter of human performance works. Therefore, it's not a matter of how many sins you committed. Being saved is a matter of grace when you put your confidence in the one who saves, the one who you learn about through the gospel message, the Lord Jesus Christ. As the message about him is preached for you to receive, and believe. See, yeah, just believing in Christ alone, it's just too easy. It's too easy. Because you want to have that silly look on your face. You want to pretend that you're pious and you're all that. You want to walk down and make signs with your hands. You want to do that. It's not necessary. You don't have to pray on your knees. You can pray laying down. I'm not good at that part. You know, if I start praying when I'm laying down, it takes three seconds and I'm out. So I'm not good at that, so I don't do that. But you can pray standing up. You can pray sitting at a table. You can pray walking down the street. God's not all formal like that. He doesn't like all that repetition and all that pious outward sign crap that we like doing. He's just a regular, everyday God who created you and wants you to have an amazing life. And, re- and religion, Satan wants to steal that from you. He wants you worried and doubting and fearful that God is looking to come down on you. He isn't. You need a new picture of who God is. You know, this guy we studied systematic theology with after he died, you know, one of the things when I discovered the lie of systematic theology, the first thing I went looking for is the doctrine of love. There wasn't one. See, because the only, the only way you could pull it off to tell somebody that God was conditional is to not teach unconditional love. <laughs> Because if he's unconditional, he can't be conditional. So they didn't teach that. I was shocked. I had been in this discipline 29 years and didn't know it. Didn't know that there was no doctrine of love. It was the smoking gun. God loves us unconditionally. With no conditions. God doesn't require anything of you. God is exists to do stuff for you. Can you imagine a mother who's like that? The mother who has a kid, and it, this is the, the thing that kills me about women, is when a baby comes, they lose their mind. They are so into that baby. That's the closest that we can understand God. They are so into that baby. You know, they'll be laying there asleep. And these damn baby monitors, the worst thing that ever happened to mankind. <laughs> you yeah, know, before you just let them suffocate. You know, they, hey, you put them in the crib, you say, hey, I'll see you in the morning. If you die, you die. <laughs> Not now. <laughs> this is a good luck. Not now. We got a baby monitor. And we lay in there trying to get some sleep. And then all of a sudden you hear that noise.
2: <laughs>
1: and the mom pops her eye open. And she is up and in that room, ready to do whatever. Change them, feed them, love them, pick them up, all that. Dads ain't into all that. Right? Dads say, baby, they hear the baby, uh, and the wife will Hey, honey, the baby's crying. <laughs> I ain't got no milk for him. You know, you got those things. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's a that's a smart woman gets a bottle real fast. It hits the guy in the head with a bottle. Here, here's the bottle. Get over there. Feed him. <laughs> that love that that mothers have for their kids. And I'm not saying every mother loves her kids that way, because that's not you know that's not true, but. Just generally speaking, that love that happens, you carry something inside of you for nine months and it's out and you're looking at it. Even when the baby's in the womb, listen to how women talk about the baby in the womb. Oh, I can't wait to meet little Peanut. (laughs) 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 Oh my God. This kid is going to be a human terror. Let me tell you how they really are. Oh, I can't wait to see little Peanut. That's how God is with us. He just loves us so much. And all he's thinking about is our welfare and what he can do to put us in the best position to be the best version of ourselves. And there's tribulation with that. He's not, he's not milk toast. He's not going to powder puff your butt all the time. But he loves you so much. And moms are the closest thing that we can see to understanding how deep that love is. It's amazing. So that's what he feels for us. So Paul went from persecutor to preacher. An accurate gospel message makes it clear that being saved is not a matter of law or human performance works. He doesn't, have to, he doesn't want you to work. All he wants you to do is hear the preaching and receive it and believe it. 1 Corinthians fifteen six. So after his resurrection from the dead, the Lord appeared to more than 500 brethren, brothers and sisters who are believers in Christ, at one time. They saw him simultaneously, so there wouldn't be the small group here and the small group there, and there'd be all this controversy. It was like he went to a stadium with 500 people in it, and he showed himself to these people, most of whom remain alive until now. Now Paul's talking to the Corinthians but some who have fallen asleep some have died physically these are people the corinthians could check with for testimony to historical fact that he did indeed arise from the dead 1 corinthians 15:7 then the lord appeared to james his half brother who became a believer in christ and wrote one of the most straightforward direct books of the new testament and then he appeared to all of the apostles. See, he wasn't just being selective. 1 Corinthians 15:8. And last of all, as if to one untimely born, as if to an aborted fetus. That's what the Greek says. As if to an aborted fetus, that's Paul describing himself. He appeared to me also. Now Paul tells the truth about himself. 1 Corinthians 15:9. For I Paul, and the least of the apostles. He is not being self effacing. He is telling the truth. He is the worst person of all time. And I am not fit to be called an apostle. Why, Paul? Because I persecuted the church of God. Imagine if he let himself walk around with guilt for what he did. And he did not have guilt for what he did. He said, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the mark for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm not going to think about that. It's done. It's the past. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm not going to keep bringing it up and bringing it up and bringing it up. So different from most human beings who just want to keep going back to the past and revisiting the poison. Let me drink that poison one more time. Let me think about one thing I screwed up. One more time. And let me drink that poison again and again and again. Why? Forget it. Move on. 1 Corinthians 15:10. But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them. You might think, "Oh, he's still competitive." No, but listen to what he says. Yet not I doing the labor, but the grace of God within me doing the labor. God's doing the work now, not me. 1 Corinthians fifteen eleven. So whether it was I or they, so we preach the gospel, and you receive the gospel, and you believe. There's the setup. For the next five passages, he talked about the gospel message. Now, Paul's off to a great start, and we'll hear more from him after our homecoming celebration next week, but what's he saying here? The most important message in human history, and perhaps in divine history, is the gospel message. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. So easy so easy. It's something you can do at a moment in time and the result stands finished forever. You never have to think about it again. But you do because I keep bringing it up. Because this is something that I don't want you to forget. So the closing moments of our lesson today are a reminder that God wants you. And what he wants from you is that you make the most important decision of your life. And in our slide, at this part of the lesson, there's a a Chinese woman standing in Times Square with a sign about Jesus. It's one of the most amazing sights I have ever seen in my entire life because, generally speaking, China is an atheist country. And here this woman is, Chinese, from China, not atheist, but a believer in Christ with a sign that has a lot of accuracy on it. And what she's saying is, God wants you. God gave you an amazing ability from the moment of birth. He gave you volition, the ability to choose. You can make your own decisions. You have the power of free will. You have the power of choice. So what do you choose to believe about God? Well, many people have beliefs about God. According to the world, a belief is an opinion or a conviction or a confidence in the existence of something that does not seem provable. Yet everything with God is provable. There is no need to have blind faith with God. He reveals himself in ways that make sense to human beings. And if he didn't, what kind of God would he be? What would make him worthy of our worship? The answer is nothing. But here's what Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says. Since the creation of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ's invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his deity have been clearly seen by all mankind, being understood through everything that has been made in the entire created universe so that all mankind, especially unbelievers who practice ungodliness and unrighteousness, are without excuse in the matter of knowing God. Satan, the enemy of God, prefers that we have beliefs because he knows that there is a big difference between beliefs and truth. Only when your beliefs and the truth are the same are your beliefs significant. Satan hates the truth. Why? Because he can't handle the truth. Do you choose to believe Satan, or do you choose to believe God? What many people believe is that they can impress God so much that he will let them into heaven because of their good deeds and religious practices. So they give money to beggars. They give food to the homeless. They're actively involved in community projects. They generously donate their time, talent, and treasure to charitable organizations. They give back. You've heard that term, give back, used countless times. People who give back usually are convinced that they are good people, impressive to God, because they give back. Many think they are so good that after they die, God will reward them by letting them into heaven for their good deeds. The Bible, the owner's manual for life, tells a completely different story. Titus chapter 3 verse 5 says this, The Lord Jesus Christ saved us believers in Christ, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in self-righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and through renewing, by God the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 say this, For by God's grace you have been saved through faith in Christ for salvation, and that grace and that faith and that salvation are not from the source of yourselves, It is the gift of God. So being saved is not a result of your works, not a result of deeds you have done in self-righteousness, so that no one may boast about saving himself. The Bible directs all mankind to let God do the saving. One thing you would never want to do is put the burden of your salvation on your own back. So if you can't get into heaven doing good deeds... What is the truth about how to get to heaven? What is the truth about how to get God to let you in heaven? The one way to get to heaven, the only way to get to heaven, is through the Lord Jesus Christ. John, chapter 14, verse 6, says this. Jesus said to the doubting Apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation, I am the truth through the word of God, and I am the resurrection life, eternal life, and no one comes to God the Father in heaven, but through believing in me. Of course, during the gospel message, we would get interference, wouldn't we? Amen? Amen. The Apostle Paul describes this amazing Messiah, the Christ, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. I, Paul, delivered to you as of first importance the gospel message I also received from God, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Old Testament Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day, according to the Old Testament Scriptures. When you choose to believe that Jesus Christ is God, it is much more than a belief. It is the absolute truth. When you choose to believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, it's more than a belief. It's the absolute truth. So how can you get to heaven when you close your eyes in this life? Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 say this, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, that he is God, and if you believe in your heart that God the Father raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10, 10 For with the heart a person believes, resulting in the imputation of absolute righteousness by God, which is your admission ticket to heaven, and with the mouth a person confesses, admitting faith in Christ alone, Resulting in salvation. So, wise to let God save you, because once God does something, it can't be undone. And God never changes his mind. So heed the warning in John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. Or the warning in Matthew chapter 13, verses 40 to 42. So just as weeds are gathered up and burned with fire, so it shall be at the end of the age. Matthew thirteen forty-one. The Son of Man will send forth His elect angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all stumbling blocks. Unbelievers. And those who commit lawlessness. Unbelievers. Matthew thirteen forty-two. And the elect angels will throw unbelievers into the furnace of fire. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you want to make the most important choice of your life? Have a great eternity by doing what is suggested in Acts sixteen thirty one. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. John chapter 3, verse 17. God the Father did not send God the Son, the Lord, who took on human form as Jesus the Christ, into the world to judge the world. But God the Father sent God the Son into the world that the world might be saved him. Take the free gift of eternal life right now. There is no time to waste. God wants you. So why bother working for your salvation with good deeds when it's a free gift? Let the Lord Jesus Christ work at the cross, give back to you. Make the right choice. All right, let's close with a song. We've all heard Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in union with Christ Jesus. That's all believers in Christ. So as believers in Christ, we breathe a big sigh of relief. (sighs) Then in Romans chapter 8, verse 34, the Apostle Paul asks an interesting question. Who is the one who condemns? And the answer is Jesus Christ. Wait, what? Well, here's what the verse really says. Romans 8, 34. Who is the one who is qualified to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one. Why? Because he was sinless. The one who died on a cross. The one who was resurrected from the dead. The one who is seated at the right hand of God the Father is the one qualified to condemn. Instead, he is the one who intercedes for us. Christ doesn't condemn us at all. Here's June Murphy to sing one of her good songs. In Christ. No more condemnation. Got a little equipment failure up here. But I think we got it under control. So we close with a, docto- a doxology of praise to... <laughs> My tongue's not working all that well today. Did you notice that? Except on those hard words. Amen? you know in Greek? Areopagus. Yeah. So we close each week with a doxology. Well, what is a doxology? It's biblical words containing praise to our Almighty God. And this week we start with Philippians 4, 6. Stop worrying about anything. If you want to do something instead of worrying, pray. Stop worrying about anything. Instead, in everything, by prayer and petition, with an attitude of thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God the Father. Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God the Father, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds, flooding your souls with peace, you who are in union with Christ Jesus. Jude one twenty four, not to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, that Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is able to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless and with great joy. Jude 1.25, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we thank you for giving us your word. And we mean that in more ways than one. You give us the word of God, but you also give us promises that you will fulfill. And although we don't always understand everything that's going on in our circles and we wish things were different, we know that you work all things together for good, and we just thank you for that. We thank you for foreknowing us, for predestining us, for calling us, for justifying us. And we wait eagerly for the day when you will glorify us. We wait eagerly for the day when your Son will come and meet us in the clouds in the air, and we'll get our resurrection bodies and forever be with the Lord. And until then... Keep our spiritual eyes open to the opportunities that are in our periphery to welcome people to the gospel message who are unbelievers and to welcome people who are believers in Christ to learn the word of God so that they can get to know you and the whole triune Godhead intimately. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.